Welcome to the No More Late Peace podcast. I'm Jackie. And I'm Danielle. And we're just two best friends and ex Blockbuster employees rewatching some of the best and worst movies from the late 90s and early 2000s. And this week, we're continuing the Scream saga with Scream 2. Scream 2 is the rushed 1997 American slasher sequel to Wes Craven's Scream. Like its predecessor, Scream 2 combines the violence of the slasher genre with elements of comedy, satire, and whodunit mystery while exploring the cliche of film sequels. Unlike its predecessor, we do not get Matthew Lillard to love in the mood. It stars David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Jamie Kennedy, Laurie Metcalf, Timothy Oliphant, Elise Neal, Jerry O'Connell, Jada Pinkett, Omar Epps, and Lee Schreiber. It was written by Kevin Williamson, directed by Wes Craven, and you can watch it on Peacock. But before we start, let's get into our ratings rewind. So, you know the drill. Before we get into the movie, we'll reveal the rating our Y2K versions of ourselves would give. Then at the end, we'll see if our current cells agree with our initial rating. Our scale consists of would buy it, would buy it again. The best would play on repeat. Five-day rental. Would watch again. Two-day rental. Okay, but nothing to write home about. And same-day rental. Slash this trash. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So Jackie, what's your Y2K rating? I think it was a five-day rental. I don't think I own the second one. And the original Scream is one of like my all-time favorite movies, but this one just did not resonate the same way. So I don't know. So I bought it. I, I'm, I'm going to say it was a would buy for me. And I do remember because in college that first year, and even the second year, well, the first year we didn't have cable in our dorms. So, you know, I had my business Blackbuster where I was <laughs> renting out VHSs from my collection and Scream 2 was in rotation. And so, yeah, I know this movie by heart in the sense that I, I know what's happening. I don't know why I was re-watching this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And like, look, I am a huge fan of the entire, you know, saga, the franchise. I will, you can, like, it could be shitty and I'm still going to watch it. I'm still Mm going to go see it. But I got some issues. So you ready to dive in? I'm as ready as I'm going to (laughs) be. Well, like you said, this movie was quickly made. It it wasn't much turnaround after they made the first movie. The budget for this movie was 24 million and domestically made 101 million and then altogether 172 million. So it was still a damn hit. Hence why we we were getting more. (laughs) (laughs) To this day, we're still getting more. And at the time, it had the record for being the biggest December opening weekend with $33 million. And it held that record for a while until 2000 when it was beaten by What Women Want. That's a (laughs) a surprising one. Like, I I like that movie, but it just throws me off (laughs) 
when I see that's what be it's December opening. Yeah, and it just it feels rushed. Also, they had to change the ending because the script was leaked online. Yeah. So originally Haley, but she was originally supposed to be the character and secretly in a relationship with Derek, the boyfriend who was supposed to be the other killer. But after the uh, script was leaked, they changed it to so the ending. That is what it is. <laughs> um, so the funny thing is, I, I think I would have enjoyed. I would have enjoyed it more if Helly ended up being the killer. So I went on Twitter because I was feeling feels and I couldn't talk okay. to you about it after I watched the movie, obviously, because we try to stay fresh. But I was just wondering when you try to get a pulse of people, if you're like, are people feeling the same way as, you know, and somebody wrote, Wes Craven contractually, <laughs> contractually ab- obligated to include more Black people in this one. Now, this particular person, Liam Underwood uh, at, on Twitter, I don't know if he's just racist and was mad there were Black people in it, or was he questioning the same way I was? Because, like, I, I've watched some interviews and stuff with Jada Pickett and how, like, gung-ho she was about being in this movie and that she asked Wes to have this crazy, long-winded kill and as I'm watching the movie we did scary movie and I was just like this fucking movie is scary movie it just is yes it It is a better better written (laughs) I use that loosely better written scary movie (laughs) yeah and so if I was going to sum up this movie I would say out of all of the I can't say trilogy anymore because there's four now, Buck V five, the franchise. I would say this is Scream Two is the one with the black people. And fair. Yeah. And there's so a total of three. Three? Yeah. And no, there are four. There's four black people in this oh, yes. movie. Oh, uh, yes. Joel. And yes. one one survives. And the thing is, I and remember after Scream One, there was some discourse about just like how white the movie mm-hmm. was. And so we talked about this before. I don't like diversity for diversity's sake, right? Like if you're going to have diversity, but you don't know what the fuck to do with it and you're still falling into tropes that the even in movies and the horror genre are known for, what, what are we doing here? You yeah. know, they in the beginning, they start to talk and Jada's and Omar Epps characters, Maureen and Steve, so these two characters are going to the movies. So we, we now know that the Scream saga has been turned into a, a movie within a movie called Stab. Mm-hmm. They're going to go see it. And then, you know, they're a couple, they're having this banter. And some parts I could say, okay, felt very authentic to the Black experience. But still, I know that whoever's writing them is not Black. Correct. I I feel it in the way that they're talking. And the only reason any of it is translating or feeling authentic in any way is because of the actors. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of feel like 
if you're not going to get a black writer to write for black characters just write it like you write the white people just leave it alone don't try to add it was there 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 were hints of angry black women yes that like trope of like just being combative for combative sake which didn't need to be there she could get her point across and not be in that combative state so if you read some dissertations that are on the internet about this movie, one of them goes into that there was an article that's really just saying what was Scream 2 trying to talk, say about race? Because it mm-hmm. felt like it was trying to say something. And that's why Scary Movie did so well, because essentially it is the plot of this particular movie with some pieces of the first but this one is really where they were pulling a lot from. Yeah. They did it better because they had it from the viewpoint of Black people being in that situation. Yeah, and so it was written by the Wayans brothers. Who... Right. And so that's what we loved about the first Scream was that it was touching on all of these cliches in scary movies. And they had an opportunity. They set it up to be able to talk about some of those cliches and some of the things that they fucked up in the first movie with the lack of diversity. If you look at it from that perspective, again, when I looked at Scream, I was not looking for diversity because (laughs) I knew it was a bunch of rich white people living up in the hills of California. I get it. Fine. But if you're going to do this, you kill Jada, you kill the black people first. Mm -hmm. What are we doing? So you add Black people and then you kill them gruesomely. You make their language way more. They curse more than most of the other white people in the movie. Yeah. It just, it threw me off. It's like a cultural caricature of... Right. Yeah. So everybody in the comments talks about Wes Craven, but I really think this issue of diversity is Kevin Williamson. Now hear me out. (laughs) I seen so many of his shit at this point. I mean, Dawson's Creek, ain't nobody on the Creek black, not one person, not one person black on the Creek at all. And then we had that issue with Vampire Diaries. We did have one Black person. We had an entire family, but the way that they were sidelined and how shitty they were treated, I know that wasn't just him. That was Marlene and some of the writers as well, but he sets the tone. It keeps happening. Every project teaching Mrs. Tingle, like no diversity. So I'm going to blame him. And and I don't think there's anything wrong per se with writing in the narrative, you know, like that's fine. But if you acknowledge, Hey, there is a, a, we have an opportunity here. We're going to a college where it will be not just a community based, but more of different people from all different walks of life coming together for a shared experience. So I need to do my due diligence and pull in other people from other walks of life to be able to write to those different experiences. Yeah. And it's so I like knowing enough about yourself and like, this is what I know. This is how I write, but I want to make it more authentic and 
and right yeah and, and just being able like being willing and self-reflective enough to bring those elements and the people that can assist you in creating those elements in an authentic manner yeah I I mean Wes Craven he did Vampire in Brooklyn he did People Under the Stairs and those were you know the very few black horror movies that we have those are that those are definitely some of the classics were they great that's another day let's get into it so you kind of hit on it so we open we're at a movie theater uh it's a phil stevens sorry sorry phil yes okay omar apps plays phil jada plays maureen they're a couple that's dating they're going to the movies she wants to see the sandra bullock rom-com but he has free tickets to a screening of stab based on the hillsborough murders and they're handing out costumes and like fake knives to everyone going to see the movie maureen is not into it she's like this is just a movie uh very much like danielle synopsis of the mummy like white girls getting cut the fuck up is like the synopsis she gives for the movie not wrong and so they go in and they start watching the movie and then that's where it gets into some of the tropes that are closer to reality the yelling at the screen and things like that yeah (laughs) I was just like so I I really got excited in the beginning of the movie when they were having this discourse and having this conversation about like, this is a movie with the white people making stupid decisions because, and come on, that's what a lot of the horror movies are. Yes, it really is. And, And that's fine. And they're fun, but that's what they started to have the conversation about. So I was like, oh, okay. So they're really about to do something. They're about to do something. No, they're about to die. (laughs) Yes. Um, and so it's about like 10 or 15 minutes into the like movie within a movie. And I really love how she's, I want popcorn, give me money. And he's like, you got your own money. She's like, I have my money. I asked for your money. I was like, if you're on a date, I mean. <laughs> so <laughs> when I was looking at some of the discourse online, there were a lot of crazy angry trolls on Twitter who called her racist, by the way, because she said it was a crazy movie about white people making stupid decisions. They're like, she's, I didn't know Jada was so racist in this movie. I was like, do y'all know what racism is? Okay. And then they go into, and she like, look at her, her broke ass. She's asking for his money. It was interesting just like why do a free movie (laughs) for the popcorn like Uh, could she have phrased it a little nicer sure but it's also a fucking movie and you're looking for laughs so that line made me fucking laugh (laughs) (laughs) mission accomplished so they go we immediately get pepsi product placement (laughs) all i was thinking about was who, who goes to the movie and is, is really trying to be on some fucking diet? Either you're just going to go all in or you're not, right? You're not going to- Popcorn, no butter, and a diet Pepsi, please. Yeah. <laughs> Jada, um, please. 
<laughs> That's all I was thinking about. And then she's kind of walking back towards the, the theater doors and Omar Epps pops out wearing the costume now. And she's like, motherfucker, like, don't do that shit. Yeah, I would have broke up with him. <laughs> there's no way. That's scary. And then there's a piece of continuity and I couldn't quite figure it out, but I think I'm right. So he's like, I have to go to the bathroom. And she's like, okay, well, I'm going back inside. I'm pretty sure he takes the drink with him. But then when she gets into the theater, she has the drink. Mm. I was like, because I literally wrote in my notes, why'd he take the drink to the bathroom with him? And then in the <laughs> next scene she had it, I'm like, I'm Somebody pretty sure I up. didn't imagine that. Like, we'll have to, we'll have go to go back and look. Yeah. <laughs> So he goes to the bathroom, the urinals are all full, and everyone's dressed as the guest face. Like, yeah, that's what I'm I I'm going to do that thing. <laughs> <laughs> two ghost face at a urinal. Yeah. Two urinals, not eight. They're not two ghost face, one urinal. And I'm probably going to call him ghost face killer again, because that's just, <laughs> I have to like mentally put the brakes on to not add killer. Killer. And so- I watched this with the captions on. Me too. So when he starts hearing like the weird shit in the stall next door. So he has to use a stall. Because these two idiots are peeing like snails at the urinal. (laughs) Yes. And so like there's this weird whispering. And like if you don't have the captions on, it's just weird whispering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you see what I saw on the captions? You know what? So I don't know what happened, but like I said, oh, I have the captions so I can actually listen. And then for a second, I think I looked at my phone and then I missed it. So then I was just like, I'm not going back. What did it say? Tell me, girl. Tell me. I'm going to get real close. Here's some uh, (laughs) bathroom ASMR for you. I swear I'll be good, mommy. I'll tell you, mommy. I'll tell you why I did it, mommy. I'm so sorry, mommy. Those were the captions, Danielle. <laughs> what in the actual fuck? Did someone just have fun with the captions? Yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah, 100%. The last line goes, inaudible whispers. I'm like, why wasn't it just inaudible whispers the whole time? Why you got to freak me out on a whole nother level? I don't appreciate this. What and this part, I don't, it will never make sense to me because I just don't for I don't know Phil's character because we don't <laughs> see him long, but in my heart, I feel like Phil would not be nosy like that. I think he would have just gone to piss, shaken his head, and said these these white people are crazy and washed his hands and left. I just the- don't the only thing I could sorry. Okay. The only thing that I could rationalize is he thought maybe someone was like having sex, ghost face sex in the next stall and was kind of like, ooh, why does it have to be ghost face sex? <laughs> Obviously, it's ghost face sex. <laughs> So (laughs) he leans in real close and to quote the amazing movie that is Billy Madison, 
he's physically abused in the ear. Oh my God. <laughs> he gets stabbed through a stall, which I'm like, I don't think anyone has enough grip strength to actually drive the sharpest knife in the world through a stall wall into the ear of another person. Plus the aim, like how you know where his ear is on that wall. Right. It, mm, this A lot of these killings and like stalking things make no sense in this movie. Yeah. Like there's no, unless they have sonar, like <laughs> there's no way. It was ghost know. space killer dolphin sex. <laughs> Maybe eventually. <laughs> so yeah, poor Omar Epstein. So Maureen right- is like watching it, and she's talking yes. to the screen and watching the movie and talking yeah. to the screen. Yeah. yeah. But at this point, I know it's a trope, but it's so loud in that movie theater. People are just standing in the aisles. Like, there's no semblance of a real movie watching experience. No. So one thing we did miss was that before Phil went to the bathroom and she even went to go get her concession stand snacks, we do see a glimpse of the movie and we see Heather Graham getting into the shower and it's supposed to be like a naked scene and whatnot. I just wanted to note that because they did film an actual, they actually filmed like a whole little mini movie and it was directed by Robert Rodriguez. But due to some legality issues, Wes mm. Craven had to reshoot. So what we see, I, I guess, with Heather Graham is what he shot. But I'm really curious as to, to know what that stab movie will look like when Robert Rodriguez has shot the little scene. So Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I never had the... DVD. I only had it on VHS, so I don't even know what the bonus features are on that. Yeah, we'll have to try and go on YouTube and see if we can dig up stuff. Yeah. So now Phil, but like in air quotes. Oh, right. Phil Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> comes and sits back down next to her. He's still wearing the ghost face mask and is wearing like his leather jacket that he's wearing yeah and so it's a really scary scene and so Maureen kind of like hugs his shoulder and hides her face and stuff and then she like turns to face the screen again and settle in her seat and then she realizes her hands are covered in blood and so she looks (laughs) and he stabs her just like wasn't even in the middle of the chest and it was above the stomach like just like in the center of her torso so then she's like looking at him in horror and she's trying to get away from him and because the entire auditorium is just chaos and ghost face costumes and like fake knives no one's really paying attention to her while this is happening except there was one guy that she I guess she grabs or something and he looks at his arm and is like confused because there's like blood all over his arm. Yeah. But that's all we get of anyone that seems even slightly concerned. And so she, he, like, she's continually stabbed as she makes her way to the front of the theater and stands up in front of the movie screen and just kind of lets out this like gut wrenching howl almost. Yeah. And then she falls and 
is dead. I just want to, I want to have a conversation with Jada and not as much with Omar, but Jada, because she was so gung-ho and she said she had all these talks with Wes Craven. Like, sis, you didn't think this situation of being how you were killed, because it was so much more, I mean, the killings were a little bit more gruesome in this movie because you see a Mm -hmm. lot of the stabs, but this one was just, it didn't make me feel right. It didn't sit right with me how they, how she was killed and for what? Because now, now that we know who was the, who were the killers and stuff like that, and maybe this happened because that's who they planned, the original killers, there would have maybe been some because they were students together or whatever. Mm-hmm. But now looking back, I there is no reason Except for they have that, like, oh, we were just trying to find people's names that match the original killings, but it's weak. And, like, try to have a shocking beginning, like, the The first first frame, which you're never going to replicate that. Don't even try. It's not going to happen. Like, that was... One done. Yeah, kismet. Like, all the stars aligned, and it just, it was the most perfect opening to a horror movie that you could possibly do yeah so I think we're just trying to kind of grasp at trying to do something similar with some other fairly well-known actors at the time and for Jada I think she just wanted like for me all I can speculate is she was just looking at a lens and also to note the entire time I'm watching her getting killed I'm like in her last moments of life does she think her boyfriend is killing her I think when she looks at him, she knows it's not him. When she realizes there's blood on his jacket, she knows he's dead. Like there's this real, she does give a really good scene where she, the way that she looks at him, it's like, mm-hmm. it's resonating in her brain that, that that's not him. And something has happened because okay. she does see all this blood on his, she like has all this blood on his, from his jacket. So I think she knows that okay. it's not him. I was just worried that like, yeah, that would be a horrible feeling. Oh my gosh, awful. Okay, so now, yeah, it, credits roll up, scream two, phone <laughs> rings, just like in, uh, the first the, in the first movie, and we see Sydney's like asleep in bed, her phone's ringing, she answers it, it's Ghostface voice, what's your favorite scary movie, and she's just like, unbothered, which I don't think you'd ever get past the trauma no of hearing that voice no I feel like a better response to some of the trauma of that was executed by a wonderful Julie James in I know what you did last summer even though it was just like bad acting she really was sad she really was depressed and Mm -hmm. I don't know how many years have gone by since the last scream and this movie so I don't know how long she's had a chance to kind of go to intense therapy and work through some stuff, but maybe having the caller ID and having the experience of knowing that it's a, logically knowing these are a bunch of kids mm-hmm. making fun of her. So we find out Sydney's now in college. She has a roommate, Hallie, and Sydney seems very well adjusted. She has a new boyfriend. His name yeah. is Derek, played by Jerry O'Connell, which so beautiful. 
I just love him. Yeah. The cool thing about him is that you like we've grown up watching him from Stand yeah. By Me and up. And then also in the scene, Hallie turns on the, the TV while they're getting ready for school and stuff. And unfortunately, the news is reporting like this Cotton Weary interview that yeah. he's done. Cotton Weary, if you don't know, is the person that Sydney accused of murdering her mom in the first movie. So he went to jail for a year. And then he was exonerated after the true killers were revealed. He has a lot of baggage. I mean, rightfully so. Yeah. But Gail Gail keeps feeding into this baggage. Like, Gail doesn't make things any better. No. And we'll get to that soon because, oh, Gail. And um, And then they start talking about this sorority party. This sorority is real hard up for Sydney to join. I don't know why. She is um, disinterested. That's true, but like she is disinterested in the whole thing. And I love the quote she says, <clears throat> You know me in organized religion. And Hallie goes, Well, it's a sorority. And, and Sydney goes, even worse. <laughs> like <laughs> she she just has no time for any of the bullshit she just wants to get her education on and she wants to leave that's her whole goal yeah these girls are it's not even like they're really bringing on the whole idea of sisterhood and they're not they're pretty vapid the the people that represent the sorority but I do want to say that Haley I think I was really excited to have, you know, obviously a better representation uh, or representation of, of a Black female in the movie. The problem is, now that I look back at it, is that Helly falls into the Black best friend trope, mm-hmm. where she has very few characteristics of her own, and she is very much there to service Sydney. And so I had to take a step back and think about it. If I took that aspect out and watched her and how she engaged with Cindy and her interactions and their relationship. And I think I would be very as giving and caretaker-ish to my best friends, knowing how much trauma she had been in Sydney's position. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, it felt, it didn't feel reciprocal. It didn't yeah. feel like Sydney really cared like didn't care as much about Haley in the same way yeah you know they didn't seem they didn't feel like they had that bond at all in a future scene that's kind of made more apparent so they're in a dorm which like it's a nice fucking dorm like it's almost like an apartment building rather than a dorm yeah I don't know so they walk out of their door and this girl she Phoebe runs up to them she's like <laughs> and if you don't, the hall. you don't know what we mean we mean Phoebe from friends <laughs> and then she like dramatically I don't know where this girl got her acting lessons from dramatically <laughs> puts her hand on her heart and is like did you see the news and so I think at first they think it's just like the Cotton Weary interview, uh-huh. but really it's the news reporting on Maureen and Phil's deaths. I thought for for sure, I thought it was, I thought she had, like, I don't remember her dramatically running. All I remember is her just saying, I thought she did a nice job of softly saying, hey, 
you guys should turn on the TV. Like, I, that's what I remember. And so, she, oh, she said, check out the news. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe her physical acting was very over the top, but you know what? She said, I'm going to do what I'm going to do with this one line. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. They're going to notice me. <laughs> Anyway, so they they turn the news back on, see that two people were murdered at the premiere of Stab, and Sydney's immediately like, where's Randy? Right, and, and the way that he- she says this to Haley is as if she was talking to her personal assistant. Mm-hmm. And why does Haley know where Randy is? I don't know. I feel like it could go either way. I felt like there there was like a hint of that. But I think also like just talking out loud, like, yeah, shit's gone down. He is my safe person. Like we've been through this trauma before I need to find him. I also think probably before, and I'm making up a backstory that Sydney and Haley have been roommates since freshman year, they're best Mm -hmm. friends. And because of her trauma, it's actually affected Haley wanting to be a psych major. So she almost, she loves Sydney but she also looks at her as like a pet project. Yeah. And I think they probably even have protocols in place because this situation happened and she has so many crazy psycho yeah. super fans because the movie and stuff. So maybe they just know where all everybody's schedule, they kind of synced up because of, hey, we know it's going to be a little cray cray the next few days. It's probably even why her and Randy went to the same college. Exactly. And so they, she walks out of her dorm apartment building and there's already press everywhere trying to get a, a comment. And she kind of just walks by, by him. Like she's very good at just ignoring the press. She just does not give them the time of the day. She doesn't even like use any of her energy on them. Doesn't give them a side eye or a dirty look, just keeps walking. Like whatever. Randy's in the film. It's. I don't know if it's a film theory. I'm assuming it's a film theory class because they're kind of talking about shocker sequels of movies. (laughs) And so they're going around and debating and things like that. And at this point I wrote, oh, I forgot Joshua Jackson was this movie. So I said to myself, Y2K Danielle was very excited Joshua Jackson was in this movie, even if it was for that brief cameo essentially. And I always get it mixed up because both him and Rebecca Gayhart are in this movie but they're also an urban legend mm-hmm. so I I was like wait <laughs> what's happening wait 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 what movie is this so the they're obviously debating about sequels and Randy it's funny because in the first one he tries to like his whole life is movies. He he works right. at a video store. It seems like even his quote unquote friends kind of bully him or like talk down to him and stuff. So he's kind of created this world for himself where like he equates every life event to a movie. Yeah, it's his coping mechanism. Yeah. And in this movie, he does a complete 180, which is hilarious because there's literally now a movie about his life and he says life is life where is it life is life it doesn't imitate anything and I'm like you literally know that to not be the case you're, 
your likeness is on the big screen as we speak. Yeah. So it, it's like he's done a 180 and completely rejected his previous coping mechanism. Yeah. And and trying to find parallels in movies that reflect events that are happening in his life. And now he's just like, nope. That doesn't happen. Whatever. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, by definition alone, sequels suck. And so then there's this debate back and forth. And we're also introduced to Mickey, played by Timothy Oliphant. I love Timothy Oliphant. And he now he has like that salt and pepper hair. Jesus. Uh-huh. That's a TikTok. And so they're all going around and around and bringing up different genre or different movies and things like that. Anyway, so after class, they're kind of like, what What would you like to see different in a sequel if they're all just like the same and follow the same formula? And Randy's like, I'd let the geek get the girl. And I'm like, oh, he still loves Sydney. Karen, that torch. And, and she don't even care. She no. <laughs> Now we are formally introduced to Derek, played by Jerry O'Connell, in all of his late 90s preppy glory. He's got the collared shirt and like the the Greek letters and he's pre-med in the khakis and he's just... He's dreamy. Adorable. Yeah, (laughs) he's dreamy. And okay, I, I forgot to ask you this when y2k jackie when she was watching this movie what who did she think the killer was i think i don't 100 percent remember and and like they do the red herrings all throughout all mm-hmm. of the screen movies but i feel like i thought it was just gonna be either like Stu wasn't really dead because i mean the tv fell on his head but like yeah in horror like anything is happening exactly i so and my love for matthew lillard like i was really hoping i was trying to manifest that to be the case but he was in the movie yeah i i learned that he's in a background scene in one of the like party scenes or something yeah i got an argument with someone on instagram who didn't who was like no he wasn't i said read the credits bitch (laughs) Yes, he was. He had a very small appearance in the sorority party scene after he visited the set. Yeah, so he's in the background. You don't really see him completely, but he's there. And he's not playing Stu. Stu. So, I mean, in my heart of hearts, I was manifesting that Matthew <laughs> Lillard would be the killer and he just wasn't really dead. Yeah. But I think other than that, I feel like I probably just thought it was going to be some random characters, which... I mean, wasn't 100% wrong. No, not at all. I was hoping it was Haley. <laughs> Which it was in the original script. Yes, so I was kind of right. Yeah. Yeah. So now Gail shows up in her chunky red highlight glory. Yes. Although I do really, really like this haircut on her. Yeah. It frames her face well. The really dark hair and red chunky highlights really make her eyes pop. I thought she looked really, really beautiful in this movie. Yeah, one and two solid. It's three. The bangs. That we, the bangs. <laughs> Them bangs. Yeah. I love that she has a sense of humor about the bangs and like, 
posts on Instagram about the bangs. And if you don't know what we're talking about, Google Scream 3 Corny Cox and you'll see. It looked like she let a child cut her hair, like a two-year-old. Yeah. And it's about five hairs on her head that are super, super short on her forehead. Wow. It's almost like she went to super cuts. I get my hair cut at super cuts and it doesn't look like that. Oh, really? I'm so yeah. sorry, Jackie. I was, <laughs> you know what? I was being prejudiced. I was just thinking that a lot of white people say that Supercuts is a bad place to go. So I was just repeating what I heard. I don't know nothing about that life. I apologize. I have never had a bad experience with Supercuts, <laughs> but my hair is also very, very easy to cut. And I get the same haircut all the time, like every single time. Anyway. I digress. <laughs> I enjoy Supercuts. If they want to give us a affiliate, not mad at it. <laughs> so yes, Gail shows up, and then we are also introduced to Aunt Jackie, Lori Metcalf. If you don't watch, if you never watched Roseanne, as this kind of mousy reporter, but she, she always knows shit. Like, why weren't people looking at her side-eyed? She's always the first on the scene. Always. And she always has the inside scoop. And I kind of, because Gail, she kind of like fangirls with Gail a little bit. Mm -hmm. And Gail does not give her the time of day. And then there's a later scene where like Gail shows up and Jackie's already there. And she's just like, oh, I heard this, 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 and this. And like turns and walks. I'm like, ooh, that was good. Like you scooped Gail Weathers, which is not easy to do. <laughs> you scooped her because you fucking did it. <laughs> Gail didn't know, know that though. She kind of put Gail in her face, like, mm, bitch. That's Jeez. the best way. If you want to be a news reporter and you want to always have the hot scoop, do the killings yourself. <laughs> do the crime and then show up to report on the crime (laughs) we don't condone that in any form no I don't want to be on trial talking about the podcast told me to do that shit which is the whole moral to this movie which (laughs) we'll get to later and so they're holding a press conference about the movie theater killings Timothy Oliphant Fuck, I wrote this in my notes and didn't even put it together until right now, Danielle. What is happening? Timothy Oliphant is standing there recording the whole thing with his handicam. And then later on, when Dewey and uh, Gail yeah. are like watching the videos and then it's like not then. their footage, but the yeah. same event. It was fucking Mickey the whole time. Like, <laughs> bitch, please. Jackie, your brain is broken. Do better. <laughs> <laughs> so randy is pissed that gail is there and like trying to talk to sydney and and sydney kind of was like be kind she saved our lives like yeah she's yeah much nicer yeah yeah and like she can still be kind of like an asshole but like i mean in the at the end of the day Gail came in clutch for us and we have to give credit where credit is due. Randy replies, she got calf implants. <laughs> what the fuck I have to do with anything, Randy? I think they threw in a lot of one-liners that were 
mirroring some of the tabloid fodder that was that was plagued by the friends cast especially I mean Courtney Cox mainly because at that time someone had taken I remember this someone had taken her face and put it on someone else's naked body and was like shopping around that there was naked pictures of her so that yeah they mentioned that later in the movie too oh, they and do. her response to that is glorious we'll get to that <laughs> so now the delta landas show up to try and recruit sid in the most vapid way possible just like come be off portia baby girl this is my psa i know it was the 90s we weren't even supposed to have eyebrows so that's one two the you know the the hair wasn't matching the eyebrows why is your hair pitch platinum blonde and your eyebrows are as brown as dirt don't make no sense it did not look good it was not a good look I can't blame her completely because the 90s was atrocious for makeup and hair and everything you were lucky if you got out looking pretty decent (laughs) (laughs) Dewey also shows up at this point and so Sydney's like, what are you doing here? And he has obvious physical yeah, um, limp. Uh, disabilities because of his stab wound to his spine in the first movie. So mm-hmm. he has an arm that is kind of like, it, it doesn't function fully and he kind of holds it closer to his body. And then he has the limp. So right away, you can see out of everyone, obviously there's like the emotional trauma of the event, but Dewey has the most physical trauma of the events of the first movie but he shows up and he's like I'm here to protect you Sid and I I was on the first flight out when I heard like and at this point she's still kind of like I think it's a coincidence I think it's just like someone right like no one's after me it was just like someone was doing a copycat killing yeah he was coming out type thing I just Um, thought this would have been a nice moment if he had talked about his sister a little bit or yeah Tato's never mentioned, which is unfortunate. Yeah, that's her best friend. Like, that's what ties them together. I mean, yes, they've gone through this thing, but I could see him wanting to be a surrogate older brother because his sister is gone and she loved Sydney. Well, yeah, she wasn't the best friend, but she was, she, she loved Sydney. Even if it was just like a simple, like, I really miss her. I yeah. miss her too. Like even something like that where you just acknowledge like they're still right. coping with that grieving process. Right. Or well. just like I'm here, you know, we you're all you're my only little sister left or something yeah. like that. You know what I mean? So they're catching up and Gail shows back up now with Cotton Weary and he's just like, hey, Sid, how's it going? <laughs> hey, hey are we going to do this? Oh, he was all over the place. All over the place. And it's just so funny to know that he ends up being such a good actor and so yes. famous later on. But I'm like, oh, Lee Schreiber. <laughs> the beginning was a rough, rough patch for you. So I have weird feelings because I get a little annoyed with Sydney. when it comes to cotton like she still acts like he did something wrong right and that is I mean technically like in her mind you slept with my mom like you had an affair with my mom which like 
she needs to go see something about that and like process that because like not only his fault and like your mom's decisions you can't like take out on other people right Um, which is what she totally did when she accused him mm -hmm. and then continued so it's almost like it was very karen-esque i felt like you're out be happy you're out um, I said cool. I'm sorry yeah th- that annoyed me yeah and like although he does do this weird aggressive thing, he, thing yeah yeah well and not even that it's just like he suddenly becomes so fame hungry that well, he's he, willing to do anything to get his like his 15 minutes he keeps just talking about like I want my 15 minutes I don't even think it's fame I think he's tried to go out into the world and people are still looking at him like he killed somebody. Mm -hmm. And the only person that could really set this straight or build, I guess, his reputation back is Sydney. So Gail writing this story about him not, you know, about being innocent, but the fact that everyone in the line, like Sydney's in the limelight and they look at her as a victim Mm-hmm. And the fact that she has not said, you know, this man didn't kill my, it, it's just a perception because you have to think for years, he mm-hmm. was considered the killer of this woman. Well, and I think it's just, he could have approached it better. He could have done better. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree that the way that he handled it was horrible. And this is not me gassing up another like bad person (laughs) in these movies but I do feel like that whole if we talk about Sydney needing mental health care he definitely needs it he was accused he had a one-night stand or he was having an affair and ended up going to jail for years and then when you finally and nobody was listening to him and then when you finally get out everyone's still treating you like a leper for something you didn't do Mm -hmm. and there's just like all this frustration you have and you don't know how to let it out and you he's traumatized I think as well but he just needed to handle it better I think his frustrations he's just about to lose it that's also a great way that could have been what like him being a killer would have made sense because he would have had like a vendetta against Sydney at this point. So it's that red herring mixed with his trauma, I think that causes those weird scenes. Yeah, I agree. Gail and Cotton kind of ambush, Cotton unknowingly ambushes Sydney. Yeah, he has no idea what's going on. He just thinks like she agreed to it and like Gail lied to him, obviously to get him in the same place as Sydney. And Sydney's like, I'm not doing this. Like Sydney's trying to move past her trauma without recognizing that like she has to right some wrongs to fully move past, like complete this event right, and move past it. And so she's just like, I'm not doing anything fucking. And, and she does have that aloofness of like, I don't know you anything, even though you put him in jail for a year. And so Gail's like, come on, Sydney, blah, blah, blah. Trying to convince her in the very Gail Weathers-esque way she does. And Sydney just turned her arm backhands her, which like I'm mad at it. Like a pimp <laughs> asking for his fucking money. <laughs> I was surprised there wasn't a splash of baby powder after that slap. (laughs) 
And so this is when Khan kind of realizes, like, you didn't tell Sydney, like, and he's kind of trying to apologize, like, I'm sorry, like, he wants to do the interview, but he doesn't, he has no ill will towards Sydney. He's no, he just, just trying to figure back. out his life. Yeah. yeah. And so Cotton kind of gets into it with Gail a little bit and Gail's like, I'm not here to be loved. And like it's full Capricorn energy, I'm telling you. Hundred <laughs> percent. Focus on the fucking work and to get shit done. Yep. <laughs> and so I can't remember if it's in this scene or the next scene. Gail shows back up. And Sydney's like, just leave me the fuck alone. Like, <laughs> you wrote your book, you have your movie, just leave me alone. I don't care to be around you. I don't care to talk to you. Just go the fuck away. Gail doesn't take no for an answer. No means no, Gail. <laughs> and then I guess Sydney exits the scene. And so it's just Dewey and Gail now. And Gail's like, complaining that sydney slapped her and dewey's like i don't condone violence but you deserved it like quit being a bitch and so then she's like i'm really sorry and kind of like apologizing to dewey and dewey's just like not not buying into the bullshit he's like he has the pages and the excerpts memorized of where she makes him seem like this bumbling (laughs) deputy which i mean not wrong to all others but i mean dewey did help in the end it wasn't like he completely fumbled through the whole thing but he fumbled 90 percent of it though he did he fumbled into the helping (laughs) but he's like he's hurt because like they had a relationship and then she goes and writes this book and kind of exploits him and really seemingly without any like remorse or remorse or anything like that or talking to him beforehand and she's kind of like well I I embellish some and he's just like that doesn't and I think it's also because like they were I'm assuming like national news, like his name was everywhere. So when Gail's book comes out, even if she changed the names, you still know who you're talking about. <laughs> yep. So now is the sorority party. Uh, Sydney did not want to go, but I'm confused by this party. And let me tell you why, and maybe you okay. can clarify. So those two nitwits played by Rebecca Gayhart and Portia okay. de Rossi. Those two are at this house and they're co-sponsoring the party, I guess, with another frat, but then we get another sorority, which doesn't make sense because typically sororities compete against one another. So in my mind, it was always a frat, but I'm pretty sure they said another sorority. I could be wrong though. But then we go to this. We also get scenes at a sorority house with Cece and I'm confused. Is that their sorority house? Because she does talk about like all the girls being at a party, but she's the designated driver. Yeah. Designated driver, non-drunk friend. So I was confused because at the end of those scenes, those two girls run in and say, oh my God, let's go. There's been something, there's something going on at the ex house. Like they say the sorority house. So I'm like, is that not your house? I'm confused. Are they sorority sisters 
or is it a totally different sorority? And maybe that's the sorority you were saying that they partner with, because I'm confused. I think it's the sorority that they partner with. So all of Sarah Michelle Geller's CC's mm-hmm. sorority sisters are at the other sorority. And I I don't know if I wrote the Portia de Rossi, Rebecca Gayhart sorority name down, but the one that Sarah Michelle Geller is pledged to is Omega Beta Zeta because they answer the phone like a fucking company. Like, <laughs> Omega Beta Zeta, how can I help you? It's weird. But yes, you are correct. There's a party being held at one sorority house, I'm assuming. Could be the frat house and Sarah Michelle Geller stayed at the sorority. But I think it's two sororities. And because she is the sober sister, which if the party is across the street, why you need a sober sister? Some bitches can't make it across the street, Jackie, and we're not judging. We're not judging. So Cece is a designated Dave of this situation. Yes. And if you know, for (laughs) some girls, the girls that know, you know, you know, and the girls that don't, they don't. We're not going to explain that reference. No. You either get it or you don't. We'll get to it when we get to it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like we're keeping like Pentagon secrets. (laughs) (laughs) really it's just cheesy uh 90s teen movies so she's on the phone with her friend just chilling watching tv the voice on the other end of the line that she's talking to is Selma Blair who she co-stars with in Cruel Intentions a few years later so and they're really and they're really good friends in real life now yeah and also to know Alicia Silverstone was actually offered this role and turned it down. So SMG took it instead. So she's talking to Salma Blair on the phone. I'm just going to say, she's chilling with her homies on the phone and she gets call waiting. So she's like, hold on, let me answer the other line. Omega's beta zeta. And it's <laughs> ghost face voice. And so he's like, do you want to die? <laughs> She's like, Ted, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, hold on. So hold on. And she tells her friend, yeah, it's Ted. He's wasted. I'll call you back. And then it's not fucking Ted. Surprise, surprise. How do you don't know your boyfriend? So then like it gets more involved in like, I'm going to gut you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Typ- typical fare for Ghostface. And so then she's legit what any sane person would do. You get scared. Like this person on the line that you thought you were was your boyfriend quickly realizes not. And they're like threatening to kill you. And so she's like, like she hangs up, she calls Selma Blair back and she's like, I don't think I'm alone in the house. And then for some reason, the phone starts getting staticky out of nowhere. And like she is <laughs> moving through the house, but you would think like, it would at least work in the house. Yeah. I could see like if she gets outside and is still on. Which poorly- she does go outside. Uh, well, okay, hold on. I, I just want to take a step back <laughs> for our younger listeners. Uh, this is a cordless house phone. And so if you get too far away from the receiver, they're can, static. Yeah. So she is on a landline. It just happens to be a cordless phone. And so- <laughs> They're static on the line. So she's trying to like, at one point she's calling 911 or campus security. 
don't know why you're not just calling 911 at that point. Well, but- her friend says, don't get scared. She was the only one with some rational thoughts. She's like, call campus security. So that's why she was trying to call campus security. And at first I was like, oh, but Buffy doing some damage. Obviously he pops out of a closet, starts chasing her. So she's fighting back. She throws a potted plant at him and stuff. And then she makes the fatal mistake. Bitch runs upstairs. Why? But But why though? This entire scene is the entire scene of scary movie on the staircase when she yes. like throws the bike which yes it is literally almost frame for frame the same thing and I again just like Helen Shivers I could not be down with believing that someone was not going to get their ass whooped messing with Buffy Summers and in the end she gets up to an upstairs bathroom and it or bathroom upstairs bedroom and it has a balcony and like they boot her through <laughs> the glass door to the balcony so she's outside on the balcony they stab her and then they throw her off the balcony like, like a rag doll like a rag doll it was <clears throat> they really turned up the dial on the murders in this yeah scene. and i can't <laughs> now mind you i've seen this scene a bunch of times when they're throwing her off like a rag doll i am like oh there's a pool right <laughs> and this bitch falls straight to the cement and i was like oh there's no pool <laughs> it's that like manifesting that she'll be all right it was just like, <laughs> there's a pool no pool no straight up like looked like she was in the street yeah it was bad like one of her legs was jointed back all the way oh lord yeah her death was quick i have to say at least at least she didn't get stabbed like a million times but yeah yeah and then it's back at the other sorority house and they're trying real hard to recruit sydney like they're laying it on thick and like oh you're just the best i love you so much oh my god i want to vomit um and and this okay so as i'm watching this and knowing that the best friend was supposed to be the killer it's all coming together because even like i wanted to join the sorority but all every anybody cares about is your tired ass and i'm doing all the work and they treat me like shit because they want you or the only reason yep. they're even interested in me is because they want you like i could see that playing out in the final scene of her mm-hmm. saying this is why i killed everybody but but then there's a line spoken by one of the two airheads and it's something is up at omega beta zeta with a huge smile on their face the entire time and they're like police are everywhere (laughs) why are you smiling like what what y'all are the killers straight up (gasps) now that would have been a twist because that would have been awesome it would have okay so of my hierarchy of who really would have been a better killer i'm still waiting for a screen movie where sydney fucking finally snaps and she's yeah. the one killing everyone because that would be fucking amazing yeah secondly those two idiots would have been great because they were always around they always showed up yeah they were always there <laughs> but they were also stupid so you kind of just like push them to the side and that would have been perfect 
but I mean, I don't know if this was done before or after Urban Legend because Rebecca Gayhart had already been a crazy psycho surprise. I killer. believe Urban Legend was ninety-eight. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Well, I- and like, it could have just been that really like shallow. You wouldn't join our sorority. <laughs> So bitch gotta die. And that would have explained Maureen in the beginning. Yeah. Like anyone who like declined their invitations to join yeah. the sorority. Yeah. Let's rewrite Scream 2 with them as the killers. Uh, yes. I'm Kevin down. Williamson. Like I'm down. You, you need a woman number one on the script writing team. And you need a person of color if you're gonna do it right. So hit us up. I'm gonna what correct, I'm gonna correct that. You need a black person if you're writing for black people and other people for the other things. I I I just feel like authenticity, authenticity. Yep. So Aunt Jackie shows up and she's like trying to get the scoop. (laughs) It's not the scoop. You know, you know what's going on, Aunt Jackie. You knew the whole time. And oh, this was the scene where she's like rattling off all the details and Gail's has just shown up and then she kind of like whirls away and leaves and Dewey shows up he goes you better hurry Gail you might get scooped it just came to my mind that pretty much all of the scream movies are scooby-doo yeah a hundred like down to the unmasking yeah yeah and I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those pesky kids (laughs) Now pesky as adults <laughs> who play teenagers who are now grown as adults. I we forgot to mention earlier when Gail first shows up, she has a new cameraman because if you haven't seen the first movie, Kenny the cameraman gets his throat slit and then like falls down the van. Yes. So this new cameraman, Joel, shows up. He's kind of like, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. And then quickly is like, <laughs> perhaps I should have read your book before accepting this job. Dwayne uh, Martin does a great job with the what very little he does get. Yes. But he does a lot with it. And he is the audience essentially, the black audience especially who's speaking to this shit is crazy and we should all be leaving. Why are we staying? (laughs) And uh, Gail Weathers, the Capricorn that she is, is very focused on work and needs to get this shit done. Any Capricorns who are listening to this episode, I apologize. I'm not trying to slander your Zodiac sign, but you know it's true. (laughs) (laughs) You know why. And it's at this point where Joel's like, and cut out for this shit like two murders be happening too many murders be happening I'm gonna see myself out yeah at some point like so when when he first joins on she's she's just like she was to Kenny just or and the other camera guy that she had as well but she's just very dismissive of his concerns yeah very valid concern yeah she's dismissive then she is you know she gaslights him gaslights him and then she tries to be like very sweet she takes a lot of different manipulation tactics to get him to stay and this Um, was the point where he's like nah i'm good he goes to get donuts and then comes back and someone's dead and he's like you know the best thing for me is to get away from this 
And I think it's probably the smartest decision I've ever seen in a scary movie ever. (laughs) But we also on the flip side, we don't get to see him outwit the killers or anything like that. He, I mean, he does. He 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 was like, he was like that Homer Simpson gif where he just like backs into the hedges. Like, (laughs) I'm going to see myself out. And the SpongeBob one when he's like, I'm going to head out. So in this scene, Joel's like, I'm not cut out for this shit. And then we cut to Sydney and Derek sitting on the porch of the other sorority house. And so Derek's like, I'm going to take you home. Why don't you just go get your jacket? Which, I mean, not the smartest decision, but he's still being very supportive and like, let's she go should, home and stuff. But she should know at this point don't go anywhere alone anymore. Like yeah. I would have so many <laughs> attachment issues. There's no way. Yeah. There's no way. Well, and I think still at this point, she's thinking like, it's a copycat. It's not for me. It's just someone that's like uber fan of the movie and wants yeah. fame type thing. So she's still not like, because it's no one directly aligned with her she's kind of like these are isolated incidents but she should have learned from the first movie they had killed a bunch of other people before they got to her i don't know it's very similar it's the exact same thing (laughs) (laughs) not very similar the exact same thing (laughs) yeah that that (laughs) by very similar you mean exactly the same Um, she goes and gets her jacket. Phone rings at a sorority house in which you don't live and don't belong to. And you can't just let it ring. You have to answer it. That's why you answer it. Do we not learn from Tatum's house in the previous movie? Like just Sydney does some non-Sydney things in this movie. I yes. will say that we fell in love with her in the first movie is that she was just very smart about Mm. how she did things and took charge and was not like a damsel in distress but she does some real stupid shit in this movie like in the first movie she was literally like somehow through dos calling into 911 (laughs) and now you'll never forget that (laughs) never like who does that only yeah. Sydney Prescott. So she goes in, obviously answers the phone. It's Ghostface. And then he pops out of the closet. So now she's like running from him. Derek hears and runs inside to help. She gets out and then Dewey shows up. And so Dewey goes inside to kind of look around. She gets out and then he runs back inside. Let's preface that because that yes. was weird. He doesn't run in to get her. He runs in to catch the person after she is out which I think very heroic but not necessary and not smart yeah and then Dewey runs in shortly thereafter and then does Dewey okay does Dewey have jurisdiction and does Dewey have a gun did you see him with a gun at all in this movie like what you going to fight with your hopes and dreams and your lip what what are we doing (laughs) sorry this is not smart detective work or human work at all just I don't know (laughs) (laughs) math is about math in here moving on Dewey goes in 
unarmed to go after the killer. <laughs> Much like Derek. But Derek at least it seems to be very athletic. <laughs> yes. And I'm wondering if in this scene, Aunt Jackie was the one wearing the, the mask. mask and stuff. Or was it always, I don't know if she was actually the killer, killing. I think it was always crazy face, Mickey. Uh, Mickey. I think Mickey was always always the one doing the killing because he, he liked it, obviously. He said she was his finance, like she was paying mm-hmm. him. So I don't know if she was getting in on the action. I don't think there was two like there were in the first one essentially killing people okay let's think this through it was definitely (laughs) mickey in the first scene and then who gets killed next cc it had to have been mickey then because she couldn't have lifted no she couldn't have thrown cc over and then it would have had to have been mickey because what debbie salt the reporter and Jackie uh-huh. was over at the other house doing the press stuff, but she does leave. So potentially she could have yeah. attacked Sydney, but it, they were waiting in a closet. Yeah. But how did Mickey get from Cece sorority to there? I mean, we don't know how much time has gone by, you know, it's like true. think about how long it takes for the ambulance to, to get there. Cause that's what triggered everybody to realize that they were over there. He had enough yeah. time to, to get sneak in mm-hmm. and especially if he's a student he could have probably just walked in right and no one would have noticed and then he puts on the costume after he gets in the closet yep i that I, makes sense i think okay he... so far so far your theory tracks we'll continue <laughs> analyzing as we go through so dewey says okay the house is clear how he knows because he walked through like two rooms and then he was like, right oh, good. they're gone and derek now has this slice across his forearm which and- later on in the er they're like you're really lucky you didn't sever ev- any major veins or anything and dewey's like that's suspicious like i did write prior to the er scene i wrote the the two sorority girls show up and they're like is everything okay yeah <laughs> But how I named them in my notes was Neutrogena and Porsche. (laughs) If you are not from the 90s, you didn't know that Rebecca Gayhart was the Neutrogena queen on our commercials. We were constantly seeing this bitch on our TV splash her face with water in slow motion. Much like who the fuck is Kathy from 13 Goes? Oh god. Done. (laughs) Anyway, okay. So we're in the hospital now. Derek's gonna be fine. Didn't cut any major, which I mean, I'm not in the medical field, but are there major veins that go across the top of your forearm? Aren't they all mostly underneath? I don't I don't know. On the underside? Maybe it was a deep cut. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, so Sydney's kind of sitting in the, the waiting room and Mickey shows up and he sits down. I'm like, I never got the vibe that y'all are friends. So why are you having this heart to heart at the ER type thing? Uh, and also 
there's a moment when he says to Sydney, like, yeah, why did he run back into the house? Bitch, wait a minute. Where were you? And how do you know this? Because we don't mm-hmm. see him in that scene. And Sydney gets a look on her face as if it clicked for her. But then she says something else. Like, like come on, man. But they were handing it to you, Sydney. On a goddamn platter. <laughs> and he has some really choice clothes. He says... <laughs> The 90s is no time to be a hero in reference to Derek running back into the house. Like, that don't make no goddamn sense. (laughs) And then this is when it it cuts to Dewey talking to Derek and he's like, it's awfully convenient. And Derek kind of shoots back at him. He's like, you showed up right after the guy disappeared. So <laughs> they just side eye on each other like suspicious <laughs> what are we gonna do now it's it's that p diddy me and so this is where the gail kind of puts together i think they're at the sheriff's department yeah, they, now they go to and- the sheriff's department and then they're reading off all the names of all the deceased yes. well no they say cc's name stands for casey yes and Gail's like, wait a minute, Maureen, that was Sydney's mom, Phil Stevens. Yeah, Phil Stevens. So that's and Steve. That's um, Steve, Casey's Casey Becker's boyfriend. boyfriend. And then Cece is actually short for Casey, who Casey Becker played by Chef's Kiss, Drew Barrymore, in the first movie. So Gail kind of starts putting it together like, I don't think it's a copycat. I think it's someone that. <laughs> She puts that shit together in record time and these bumbling idiots at the police station don't know what the hell's going on. So at this point, they assign a police detail for Sydney because they're taking it serious now. Like these are people that are going to be with you at all times until we figure this shit out because we want to protect you. They don't do a great job. And so at this point, Sydney's like, I think to Derek is like, I think you need to stay as far away from me as possible. Like she just, she doesn't know what to believe. Like obviously past trauma, the people she thought she could trust very obviously could not trust. And so she's just like for his protection. So she doesn't wrongly accuse him, but also for her protection, because she doesn't know who she can trust and Derek's kind of like no and but she's like I mean it like stay away from me and yeah so she does this breakup scene I guess that's what this is and she tries it I feel like she does this like twice in the movie but then in the very next scene they're at the in the cafeteria and they're best friends again no I mean they're around each other again yeah, so in this scene, he's like, well, I hope this is out of concern with my well-being and not with trusting me. So he kind of calls her out on it. Like, yeah. you can trust me. But I mean, like, Billy also played her like that. Yeah. And she chose poorly. So Dewey is there to help Sydney, like, escorts her away. Interviewers are now hounding Gail. And then Mickey kind of raises suspicion with Sydney about Randy. And so, like, Sydney's head is just all full of doubts and shit, which, you know, fucking Randy, you know, he wasn't, like, out of anyone to trust, like, it feels like she trusts Dewey 
implicitly, no questions asked, not a doubt in her mind. So why are you doubting Randy in the same capacity? She has a different relationship with Dewey. She's always been, Dewey's like, if I can imagine her and Tatum been best friends forever, then Dewey's always been like her brother. I feel like Randy was friends with those other two. Mm -hmm. And yes, they've been through something similar, but it's not the same. It's more of a familial feel with Dewey. I think she's, she feels very closely to Randy but she's has so much trauma. It's like really hard to, to trust because anything is possible except apparently Dewey being the killer. (laughs) (laughs) So the next scene is like you were talking about in the cafeteria. And I think at first Derek was there, but he was kind of like away from the group because he didn't want to listen to her but was trying to respect her at the same time but then he had to show his declaration of love so that she knew that she could trust him and so he does this song and dance yes it's giving me 10 things I hate about you Mm -hmm. before 10 things I hate about you because this came out before it when Heath Ledger goes into song. It's the same thing, but in the cafeteria. Yeah, I think this scene is very clever in the way that it's portrayed because someone asks him a question or starts engaging him in conversation and he starts saying the lyrics, but he's just speaking them. He's not singing yet. And then like he starts ramping up, ramping up. And then it's like full blown. I think I love you by the Partridge family. David Cassidy. And it's very jerry o'connell so it's very charming and adorable and she starts smiling and laughing and so he's kind of regained her trust and then he gives her his greek letters which is on a chain and so there's someone that says oh you're never supposed to do that like the penalty for that is death his brothers are not going to be happy blah 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 but it's also like what everyone does when they get a girlfriend is give their letters there's just some sort of hazing involved for you giving away your letters anyway and also this song is on the soundtrack but Mm -hmm. it is a cover by less than jake and it is amazing and it's one of my (laughs) favorite covers but i digress uh but also if you like ska and punk check out less than jake's cover of i think i love you by the partridge family i think so after this scene Oh, it's, they're watching an interview for Access Hollywood, I think, and it's Tori Spelling talking about (laughs) portraying Sydney Prescott, which is funny in the fact that in the first movie, Sydney says someone awful like Tori Spelling would portray me in the movie, yeah. Yeah, and then they got Tori Spelling, which, I mean, I've always felt like Tori Spelling has a really good sense of humor about herself, so I- I love that she was down to To play into that. Yeah. Yeah. And then the nineties, like puts a respect on her name kind of situation. She was everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. And then they also say, there are so many random friends references in this movie, but they say Dewey was played by David Schwimmer. Which I could see. A (laughs) hundred percent. So at this point, Casey Becker in the Stab movie would have been played by Heather Graham. Uh-huh. Then we have Tori Spelling playing Sydney. We have David Schwimmer playing Dewey. And, and then, Randy says a random guy. Nobody is playing him. And then, and then Luke Wilson plays Billy, Billy. in the worst 
<laughs> greasy ass Snape looking wig. And then he's just like head down all the time. And he talks like Christian <laughs> Bale and Batman. And he's just like, told you, Sydney, that I didn't do it. But the dialogue is like exact, exact. right? <laughs> Come on. Who, if it was, you know, Sydney is not divulging what was said. So it is weird. There are scenes in the fake movie that are identical to the real movie, but you know that's not even possible because I think it's the just, person, a, a I think play. it's a little of Kevin Williamson. I'm just gonna copy and paste, and then a little of like these movies are meant to be meta anyway, so why not yeah. we just go all the way with it type thing? So Randy and Dewey are now at Baskin Robbins having a bro date over ice cream. <laughs> I didn't know where they were. I thought they were in one of the student unions or cafeteria. It I had may no have idea. been where, you know, how it's like a food court and there's yeah. a bunch of different, but they're definitely eating Baskin Robbins, like the yeah. brand is shown. And they're just having a leisurely, which is funny because in the first one, Dewey eats ice cream too. So it's like yeah. now a thing. Yeah. But they're kind of discussing what's going on and stuff. And here are Randy's rules for a sequel yeah i'm ready the body count is always bigger Mm -hmm. the death scenes are much more elaborate and he says more blood more gore Mm -hmm. and he said and the third rule of a sequel and gets cut off so we never find out his third rule of a sequel and i think it's because of what happens in a later scene Mm -hmm. they also go through potential suspects and this is the second time they're like, I don't know who brings it up first, but essentially it's like, well, if I'm a suspect, then you're a suspect. Dewey does. Okay. Because um, so, he tries to say that he thinks Mickey is a suspect. And then he said, but if Mickey's a suspect, then I'm a suspect. So moving on. And then Dewey goes, well, let's go back because you could be you a suspect. You could be a suspect. And then he goes, well, if I'm a suspect, then you could be a suspect. And then Dewey goes, okay, yeah, we can move on. <laughs> I love that scene. As long as I know that you know that I know. (laughs) (laughs) And they kind of conclude that, well, if Gail's not a killer, then she's a target. So we need to go find Gail so that we're with her and we we shouldn't let her protect her with no gun and our ice cream spoons. (laughs) (laughs) And this is when uh, we see Joel and he's like, I should have read your book because should be wild. Yeah. And I'm going to Dunkin' Peace. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go get some donuts. I'll be back. And so the van is parked on the street and they're kind of like in the quad, like a grassy area. And they're yeah. kind of just having like a picnic and debriefing with Gail. And Joel also says, I want to report on the news. I don't want to be on the news. <laughs> Word. <laughs> and then finishes up his sentiment with brothers don't last long in these situations yeah so joel pieces out goes to get down it all of a sudden we're in a theater with a greek tragedy rehearsal going on and sydney wants to be a actress question mark okay so i'm glad you brought this up because i said you know said to myself self this don't make no sense. This career path makes no sense. None. When has Sydney shown anything wanting to do with being an actress? Tatum. And, right. 
And so then, I mean, and, and yes, people can change, blah, blah, blah. But then her drama professor, coach, teacher, Gus. I don't know what he, he, huh? Gus is his name. <laughs> and why we on first name basis is with the professor. professor. You know, he's a, I'm a cool teacher. Uh, I'm a cool mom. That that vibe. This girl has been terrorized, damn near killed, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't have an understudy, so you don't sound like you're really strong or brave or whatever." He said to her, "What did he say?" He I, was. I tuned him out because I just couldn't even. But essentially, was, like he gaslit her into performing, even though she said she wasn't comfortable performing, given. The events that were going on. I feel like, like I don't the know. whole school should have been shut down. Yeah, they they shut the high school down. Like, why is the college not being shut down? And they do say that they're going to have lockdown starting at sundown or whatever. Yeah. Oh, he did say, he's like, you're a fighter, blah, blah, blah. Yes, so like, that's essentially, the word. He kind of guilt her into it, but giving these backhanded compliments, but like, and she shouldn't have like to a, do this. A pep talk, but it's bad. And this scene is all of these Greek figures in the drama masks are attacking her in these robes. Like it's very, (laughs) very parallel to her actual life. What happened to her the night before in the sorority house? And so she starts running around and I don't know if she's imagining it or if it's actually happening i think it's real real because at one point i I saw someone running away and i don't think anyone else saw it so it makes her feel like she's gone crazy Crazy. but i think that was a hundred percent mickey he put the ghost face mask and yeah i think that was real and it's just the mask with the like drama robes or like a brown monk yeah. type robe. And so it's just the mask and like there's lightning effects going on. So the lights are flashing on and off yeah. and there's a thunder effect. So like she, she's on sensory overload anyway, plus yeah. like the blocking for like this play that she's been rehearsing for. And then just now she's seeing Ghostface killer every time the lights flash. Right. But I, do, I did it. You did. You did it. <laughs> but it's okay. We still love you. <laughs> and so she's just seeing him intermix when the flashes happen. And yeah. so she's, she panics. Like who yeah. wouldn't panic? That I would have panicked if I, even if I wasn't being killed, that whole scene was weird. <laughs> What's <laughs> happening? Am I a sacrifice? Mm-hmm. So yeah, they stop the production and then I think her best friend is there. So Derek shows up right after. And so it looks suspicious that he's there. And apparently not only does she have a police detail, she has her friends are kind of rotating out who is kind of being with her during the day. And it's supposed to be Mickey's turn. And he's like, oh, we swapped out, which makes sense in the end because Mickey had it attack her on stage mm-hmm. so but it does raise her her suspicions and then she so she at this point she does have police detail with her she has two guys protecting her so they have decided now I think now they've decided that they're going to take her to a safe house they're going to go back to the dorm see this is what doesn't make any sense to me I I would have just 
taken her somewhere and had maybe the best friend or someone else go get her clothes. Like there's no need for her to stay there. Yeah. Well, when Derek shows up, this is the second time she like breaks up with him him. and she's just like, no, like we need to be apart. Like I'm going to go somewhere safe. And, and, and he's like, I guess this is where I need to be understanding so okay like he's trying really hard he doesn't really say he's the way he says it's like I guess pretty much I guess I have no other choice and I guess I'm supposed to be understanding right he you could tell that he's a little aggravated a little bit more he's been completely solid this whole time but this Mm -hmm. is the first time we really see him frustrated and it's not even that much but yeah yeah And then we cut to Gail, Randy, and Dewey in the quad just talking. I guess Joel goes to get donuts a little later because in this scene, he's sitting there whittling a stick into a steak. (laughs) He's buffy. (laughs) And I'm like, I mean, at least he's trying to protect himself in some form or fashion, even Mm -hmm. if it's like what he has on hand. I got a knife and I can make this stick sharp. Someone named Bob keeps calling Gail and he's real adamant about something. And this is where Bob brings up the fact that Gail has nude photos leaked. And Gail's like, that's not even me. That's my head on Jennifer Aniston's naked (laughs) body. I'm like... Way to weave all your friends castmates into this yeah. movie, Courtney. <laughs> and I just love because like they're best friends in real life. So you yeah. know Jennifer was like, Yeah, sure, whatever. Go ahead. <laughs> I, this is where like after she gets off the phone with Bob, they're kind of just trying to figure out a game plan and no one really has a concrete idea of what to do and stuff. Yeah. And this line. <laughs> What do you want to do, bonehead? Said by Gail, to which Dewey replies, I don't know, phonehead. She's <laughs> talking on a cell phone. Oh. <laughs> oh, poor sweet Dewey. Maybe you deserve to be depicted in the Gail's book the way you did. <laughs> phonehead. Phonehead. Oh, so now- heaven. <laughs> Not great. Not one of your finer moments, Kevin. Mm -mm. So Gail's cell phone rings. It's Ghostface. They give the phone to Randy to stand and keep him like on the line while Gail and Dewey go around the quad. Because like in the conversation with Ghostface, they figure out like he can see them. And so they're going and like checking everyone's phones. This plan was real stupid. It was like, first off, they, they... stay together which if you're in an open grassy area like you can split up a little bit to check phones more quickly but also randy is just kind of like trying to have a conversation yeah well like, she, hey, well he's trying to keep how's them- it going right but like the way he approaches it is like how's it going how are you doing but blah, blah, blah. yeah but then like his face starts getting into like more aggressive like I'm gonna stab you I'm gonna cut you blah 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 you're gonna die and so Randy starts like getting heated yeah and so Randy's kind of starting to yell back but as Randy's doing that he starts ranting on the phone and he's like you're not even a real killer like Manson Dahmer OJ those are real killers I'm like you bring OJ in this really we're gonna bring OJ into this (laughs) yeah that was the sly one and as he's talking, he's kind of backing up 
towards the van for some reason. And wouldn't you know, the door to the van slides open, snatches Randy and closes. And this is why Randy couldn't get to his third role of sequels because he did not make it through the sequel. Right. I feel like the third rule would have been expect anything mm-hmm. or anybody could die. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think his third rule would have been? Probably something like not everyone from not everyone who survived the first movie survives the second movie, something like that. And so and, and I mean, according to Kevin Williamson, like his death was actually a lot more violent and so they had to cut it out and you kind of just see like ghost face stabbing you don't see like the like Randy's body in this in the shot but when they open the van door and I don't know if it's because you have a previous relationship with this character so it carries more weight that he's dead yeah but when they show his dead body like that out of every death in the Scream franchise thus far that we've watched that one was like one that was like oh like yeah I was really I had a reaction I was sad I liked the levity he brought to the films mm-hmm. I liked him being our guide I think that's also why I feel like Randy Sydney we are attached to her because she's a final girl but mm-hmm. Randy is we're attached to him because he is like telling he is narrating mm-hmm. for us he is telling us the rules he is telling us what's going to happen he's some he's com- comedic relief but he's sometimes mm-hmm. the only sane person making any sense in, in yes. these movies so it, it does hit home and really sad that we don't have him and jamie kennedy anymore yeah oh and it's sorry so Russ, Wes craven deliberately put together a more extreme version of scream 2 altogether featuring an extended scene of randy's death so that then w- when they watch the actual version it would seem less gory and despite this the more violent cut was passed and given an r rating anyway so he didn't even yeah. have to go through that extra effort it was which good. is what he did in the last the first movie the first movie he was struggling with the ratings mm-hmm. so he did something similar in the first movie so he had a formula at this point it was Very working specific formula <laughs> Everybody dies but us. And then so, Galen Dewey, unbeknownst to them, that Randy has been cut. Um, They're still like tackling people and grabbing their cell phones and stuff. But then they head back to the van. This is, I guess, during this scene is when Joel goes to get donuts. He's back with the donuts and they notice blood dripping out of the van. So they open up the door and Joel's like, I'm out. Van, man. <laughs> like, I'm out. I thought I could hang, but I can't hang. I'm going home. And he also faints. Gail (laughs) screams because like she legit has a relationship with Randy. And so she's obviously very traumatized by seeing him dead. And Joel just flat out eyes roll back. He passes out. Now, Sydney is at the library. Like, bitch. Why are you even trying to do schoolwork right now? Yeah, like, this is this doesn't defer make any sense. this semester. Yeah, I I thought she had been taken away, but now she's back in school. She has her two guys following I guess her. They, I guess I hadn't decided to 
uh, take her to the safe house yet. So no. she does have her, no, her well, detail. I, I think they did take her to the safe house, but I think she is trying to just do class. And so they're just with her. And while she's at that computer, that's when her screen is taken over by, you know, someone trying to chat with her. Here's a, another random, <laughs> yeah, someone's AOL chat chatting in the library she talks to the guy next to her and she's like what the hell's happening and he's like oh someone in here is trying to talk to you because she's like I'm not signed on then you could see that it's like somebody message messaging her that they want to kill her and she's like hey guys who are supposed to protect me they're they're in here they're in here and what do they do they fucking pull her to the side and have her just stand there so we're gonna leave you again even though we know shit gets cray and go look at every computer like it doesn't make sense and that's when cotton comes in and has that weird scene with with sydney it's just aggressive and odd yeah like he he has crazy eyes he's like diane sawyer wants to do an interview we're gonna get 10 grand each blah blah blah. and sydney's just like no dude like i'm not doing this and he i mean i think he grabs her arm yeah which which not okay and then he does that thing. She's up against like a wall, her back to the wall. And he yeah. does that thing where he like puts his hands on either side of her. Yeah. Essentially like blocks her in like while yelling in, in her face. And, and, and Nev Campbell <clears throat> does a really good job in her facial expressions and showing her actually feeling triggered, feeling unsafe, watching every movement, just the way that her acting is in this scene jennifer love hewitt could never but in this scene it's just so poignant and you really feel i think even just as a woman it felt very real to me Mm -hmm. of very similar situations in life where it's you it's two people having a ton of communication non-verbally with physical action and the, the guy is not picking up on how unsafe and like he's not picking up on any of these cues. He is having a whole other situation happen and not realizing. Yeah. His experience is completely different than hers. Right. Because he's the one dominating yeah. where she's in the submissive um, position. And then even th- this is also like reinforced because he's obviously brought down to the police station and he's like what we were just having a heated argument it's like no bitch you trapped her like yeah he's so unaware so unaware of yeah yeah so this is also when sydney finds out about randy and so she's having uh survivor's guilt like it shouldn't have been randy it should have been me um, just trying to process all this stuff. And I think this is when they decide to take her to a safe house because now Randy has been killed. And so it's getting closer and closer to Sydney. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. They, they're, they're going to t- take her back. I think they had, I really think they went the night before, but I think they were just following her throughout her regular day. It says, it says, they're going to take some Sydney somewhere safe. I, I wrote it down when they decided that. Oh, well, when, when she told the guy the night before, didn't she say they were, she was going to go somewhere safe? Did she know? I thought they told her that she was going to get clothes. Maybe it's a safe. Yeah, maybe it's that night. I don't know. But I think I got confused because I thought the guy, Derek, she had told him she was going to go somewhere safe. So I got confused. But that's, um, that's when they get in the cop car, right? Yes. Uh, 
yeah there is a scene with gail where aunt jackie shows up again and gail at this point is just like give it a rest like i don't want to talk to you like just leave me the fuck alone and so aunt jackie's like (laughs) (laughs) your throat dry bitch (laughs) get out of here joel also says see ya wouldn't want to be ya and like deuces out. yeah that's not up and then we get to the this scene i have a lot of gripes with where the two police officers and when i say police officers or detectives they've had training they know they should know how to fight they should know their surroundings just putting that out there they have they sydney. didn't even lock their doors no i don't think they have Sydney and Haley in the back seat and they're headed out and here comes Ghostface slams right into the window and he just goes ham on this person and there are two of them and they have guns and nothing so like they're they're at a stoplight Ghostface busts the window out slits the the cop that's driving the car's throat the other cops like, <laughs> completely useless. Finally pulls out his gun, but it's too fucking like Ghostface is literally driving the car <laughs> and runs and, him down. Yeah, like, him down. Yeah, the second cop got out of the car and then was trying to shoot through the windshield and instead Ghostface just hits him with his car so now the cop's just leisurely like waving his gun while on top of the hood of the the car that's still driving down the road and there's like a construction area and Ghostface just like plows through the construction area (laughs) hits this like container of pipes and a pipe goes through the second cop's head Jesus it was, it was very final destination yes and so but also ghostface because he wasn't seat belted in or anything he's yeah. knocked out and so sydney and and hallie are like this is our only chance they're trying to break out the windows and sydney notices that the pipe kind of pushed the cage that separates the front seat from the back seat a little bit so she's able to kind of pull it and bend it down enough to squeeze out but then she the passenger door is blocked by like a wall. And so she has to climb over ghost face to get out. And there's a moment where she's like, I want to see who this fucker is, goes to try and lift off his mask and accidentally honks the horn. I would have tried my best to find a weapon to just make sure that it was really dead. Who cares who's under there first? I would have tried to kill him dead. I would have suffocated him. I would have choked him out like something. Something. Yeah. While he's like, why are we climbing over him? I know it's a scary movie. So it's supposed to like, you're like, oh my God, is he going to wake up? And so she gets through, she gets through. And then she, there's all this construction material. She can't go and get something to break the glass to get her best friend out the back window to get her out. No, she's telling this bitch she's got to climb through as well. So now we're scared. So she, Haley does get out and they're running, they're going. And and guess what? Guess what fucking Sydney does? The whitest white girl shit ever in a horror movie. Not, no, that's not true. But it's a white girl horror movie trope. Which I need to she see wants who, to go back. I need to see who he is. I need to see who he is. Well, first off, bitch. Like it would have taken you about five seconds to whip that mask off to begin with while you were still there. And now that you're away, 
you're gonna go back and her friend the voice of reason's like no nah, let's keep going let's keep going and and but sydney is like no i really need to go see and her friend like stays where she is like i'm not going back to that car you you're crazy the thing i don't get about this scene is that sydney approaches the car obviously ghost face isn't in there anymore but like their backs weren't turned for long enough for Ghostface to get out of the car and hide. This is because they turn around of, pretty quickly. This is one of the magic things about both this movie and I know what we did last summer, where they apparently the killers have super speed. I don't I don't know what that's about, but I do want to say that Haley said, Sydney, we need to get out of here. We need to run, and we're smart girls. Smart girls run. Mm-hmm. we don't go back and you know in this moment i would if you had done this shit i would have grabbed i wouldn't even fucking give i would have grabbed you i don't care if you're mad at me we're fucking running yeah we're running i know i want this to be over but i also want to survive it yeah no or i'm grabbing a weapon there was wood there was metal there's all sorts of stuff and then his gun yeah no. His gun was still on the hood of the car. That's how Ghostface ended up with the gun. I'm telling you, I would, like, after we got out of the car, gun, bop, bop, in the head. Double tap. And then, then we take, take the, the mask, mask off. It, yeah. So not only was this a stupid decision, but now here comes Ghost, ghost Killer, and he has now killed Haley. Yep. He jumps out from, like, behind a pile of wood and stabs her as Sydney's, like, looking at the empty driver's seat. At this point, I'm hella pissed at A waste of a character. Yes. So while all of this is going on, Wink Joel, peaced out. He left all of his B footage. footage, All all of it, like, his secondary footage that he took during the press conferences and stuff. And so Gail's like, oh, obviously Ghostface has been at every event. Like he's been watching us. Let's watch these videos and see if we can see anything. I guess they couldn't use the van because Randy's dead in the van. So I'm sure it's now like part of a crime investigation. They go into a random hall in a college building and they're just trying to find open classrooms to find a VHS player. So they go into this hall, they find a uh, VCR. They start kind of watching their footage and I can't, was there another TV located somewhere else in the room? I don't think, I don't know. I This scene was very confusing to me because it just was stupid. And, <laughs> and so essentially what happens is like, they're watching the footage and they're like trying to kind of see. And then I feel like there was another TV that turns on and it's footage of the same day, but from like a different angle. And so Gail's like, this isn't our footage. This is someone else's footage. This is the scene er- like that I mentioned earlier where I'm like, fucking Mickey and his handy cam. God damn it. <laughs> and so they're like, they look up into the projection room and they see Ghostface. So Dewey runs up the stairs. Were they making out before this? Yes. So they they have a moment. They're making out on the desk now while their footage is still playing and then a TV flickers and it's different footage from a different angle of the same event. And they're like, this is not their footage, our footage. This is someone else. And then the TV flickers again and it's them in the room, like live. 
And so that's what causes them to look up into the projected room and they see Gus's face. So Dewey runs up, Gail stays at uh, like down at the front of the classroom and Dewey flings open the room and he's like, no one there. And now Gus's face is behind Gail. So I think at this point, they're, both of them had to have been doing yeah. stuff. Maybe, maybe yeah, Aunt Jackie was... was up in the projection room where where Mickey was still doing like the physical stuff, but yeah. she was kind of helping misdirect. Yeah. So Dewey just takes it upon himself. Like he sees Ghostface is now attacking Gail and he just tumbles down the stairs on his own accord. So that's fun. <laughs> it's not on his own accord. He's trying to get there as fast as he can and he can't. He just physically can't anymore and I think for a moment in panic he forgets his limitations and he falls (laughs) on his own cord so Dewey tumbles down the stairs Gail runs into the hall she she's trying doors trying to get away yeah finds another open door and it's a recording studio so it's like the room separated by a wall with a big window in it and everything's soundproof and so she gets into that room and then she goes into the other room and like nothing has none of the doors have locks on them and so she's trying to hide and the second room she goes into has all of this soundproofing she knocks over a shelf to block the door so she does smart girl shit as yeah. much as she possibly can in the situation she's still not looking for a weapon well though, which is she, not. okay so first she's hiding and mm-hmm. Then she sees, she's hiding from Ghostface and then she sees, like Dewey sees her and he, this is when he walks in and he's like, Gail, 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 <laughs> yeah, no Gail, gun. no gun. And he is trying to get her attention from the glass that she can't hear him. And finally, when she does turn around and see him, here comes Ghostface and stabs him and multiple times. And so she just sees him like sliding down with blood and that she is done after this. Yeah. She's fucking mentally checked out. She does throw the thing uh, like a shelf that prevents Ghostface from getting to her. And she just, she, she, she's done. She's not fighting. The reason she's not looking for a weapon is because I think literally seeing Dewey potentially be dead is she's done. She loves this man. She doesn't want to say it, but she does. And so she just slowly slides down. And this is some great acting from her too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know this movie isn't top tier completely, but there are moments because we have really good actors in this movie. And in that moment, I really felt how defeated she felt and she was just done. And Um, also by the time this movie came out, they were in a relationship and yeah. so that was probably almost like a method acting because yeah. that that's the man she's actually in, in real with. life in, <laughs> in love with future baby daddy status so apparently there's a back door to the room she's in so she gets out she's back in the hall she's running and cotton comes out and he's covered in blood and she's like get the fuck away from me like no like now she's convinced he's the killer and he he's like no I found Dewey and I was trying to help him and that's why I have blood all over me yeah but she she's runs. like not buying it she so, gets out to a payphone, but 
Aunt Jackie's on it and she snatches that thing, hangs up, is calling 911, like Cotton Weary is the killer, blah, blah, blah. And Aunt Jackie is like, the audacity. (laughs) (laughs) And now we're in, we're in the theater. There's Greek music playing and we see, is that? Oh, at some point during like this juxtaposition of Sydney and Hallie in the cop car and Gail and Dewey in the college, we see a cutaway scene of Derek. He's, I'm assuming, walking back to his dorm for curfew. And all of these people in robes kind of uh, ambush him and like carry him away. And it's his hazing for giving away his letters. It's so real, they t- real stupid shit. So they tie him to like this sun prop in his boxers and they're like force feeding him alcohol and just like spraying alcohol all over him. And all of a sudden there's like this sorority party in the theater to haze him for giving his Greek letters to Sydney. So that all was real weird. And now Sydney is back at the college and she hears Greek music from outside. So she goes into the theater, which is now completely empty. Like there is no sign. There's no, like nothing's wet, like from all of the alcohol, nothing. And she's kind of looking around and she gets to the stage and the sun thing is lowered down. And it's now like Derek is passed out, mouth duct tape, Greek mask over him. And he's like, tied with really thick ropes to this sun thing I just don't understand like how they felt how they knew she was going to stumble in I don't know why she's alone again after this whole situation you know did she uh, your friend just died your cop detail just died you can't find Dewey or why aren't you at the police station right yeah 100% so so she she kind of slaps Derek awake and he's like the killer is here and we see Ghostface coming down to from the back of the auditorium to the stage and he unmasks himself and is like hey guys it's me Mickey I did it I did it and I I am gonna get away with it approve this message (laughs) so but Mickey kind of starts fucking with her head like Hey Derek, we did it. We got Sydney here. Like that was the plan. Choo, choo, choo. And, and, and you like, know, Derek's I don't like, know what? what the fuck you're talking about. Like I didn't do anything. And so it's putting those seeds of doubt in Sydney. And she's trying to untie him, and she stops because she's like, "Are you in on it? Are you not?" She's trying to figure things out, and finally, Mickey's kind of like, "Fuck this shit." Bam, bam. And she yeah, that that scene really affected me because the way Jerry O'Connell played it, like you just felt the life drain out of him. Like oh, you it's... just knew it's sad. And, you know, I really just feel like there hasn't been a boyfriend that I believe that has been believable in this whole franchise that I believe Sydney is in love with. Mm-hmm. Not one, no. not one. No, she just. I. I, I <laughs> don't believe it (laughs) I don't know what else to say and because if she really I feel like even with her trauma she really had that connection she would have tied him yeah and and the the other heartbreaking part is like after Mickey shoots him she's like I'm sorry and he's just like 
I wouldn't have hurt you. And then he dies. Uh, Heartbreaking. And so then Mickey goes into his like tirade of why he did it. And so he says he, she should really deal with her trust issues. He was really a boy you could have taken home to mom if you had a mom. So he's like rubbing salt in the wound. Yeah. His whole spiel is that he's doing it for the fame. He's doing it for the recognition. And he already has a plan that he's going to blame it on the movies as to why he did it and get off in his psychotic mind. And the exact defense is the effects of cinema violence on society. And fuck if that doesn't resonate (laughs) a thousand percent now. And this was shortly before Columbine. Like this is right before that blame it on the media, blame it on movies, blame it on music really became a very real defense for Mm. people typically young people committing acts of murder so that was like when he said that I was just like damn fuck man (laughs) and in this whole process then we see Gail kind of stumble out through a door because he's like I had a partner and I had to have financing like he's making a fucking movie the way he said that yep and here comes Gail stumble out and it (laughs) Sydney when she says it, it's like, Gail? And then it was quickly turned to, you motherfucker. Like it, yeah. like, it wasn't hard for her to believe. Yeah. But then she's like, no, it's not me. And then here comes Aunt Jackie. So I just feel like Simi needs to work out her shit with Gail because in that yeah. scene, it showed that I believe this cold-hearted bitch could do this to me. Because because at the beginning, she was like, Randy, it'd be cool. Like, Gail saved our lives. <laughs> We're friends like, now. Why would Gail save our lives and then a couple of years later turn around and like become a mass murderer? Like, she it was... doesn't. So, it, but shortly before this, it's like Sydney's still squaring off with Mickey and he's like ranting and she's like, because uh, he mentions Billy. And she's like, you're forgetting something about Billy Loomis. I fucking killed him. And then she is like somehow taken off the Greek letter necklace and uses it to like slash out his face. It reminds me of the little girl from Electra. I only watch Electra ones. I don't remember much of it. Well, there's a little girl who uses a chain to fuck people up. Ah. So they're fighting and that's when Courtney or when the reveal comes out. Yeah. And then, and and when Aunt Jackie comes out, Sydney recognizes her immediately as like Mrs. Loomis. Mrs. Loomis. And it's interesting because all this time we realize that it, it finally hits you that all this time that we've been seeing Aunt Jackie interact, she's only been interacting with Gail. Mm hmm that Sydney has never interacted with her. And then it's very much like a sixth sense moment where you're like, oh, oh Oh, yeah. And apparently, so uh, Gail's like, I've seen pictures of Billy's mom. Like that's, that's not her. Mm -hmm. And and Aunt Jackie walks as like 60 pounds and a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) She's real proud of herself. And then they, go into this weird thing about how they met on like a psycho website 
and connected and Mickey had this plan. And so Billy's mom funded it. And, but it was like, and, and Mickey's like, yeah, I can't wait for the child. Here we go. And she's like, they ain't going to be a child. Pow, pow. And shoots Mickey. While this distraction is happening, Gail, once again, like Gail really does in her weird little way, she, she is very much willing to sacrifice herself for, for Sydney because she pushes Sydney out of the way. And at the same time, Mickey, as he's like slowly dying from his gunshot wounds, but shoots Gail Gail falls into the orchestra pit and Aunt Jackie is now going into her tirade about how this has nothing to do with anything. I don't want fame. I don't want fortune. This is my, just some good old fashioned revenge because you killed my son, my Billy. Like he was a good boy. (laughs) (laughs) And your mom was a whore. You know, got to throw that in there. And And it's all fucking Maureen every goddamn time. like Sydney's like your son was fucking insane and Aunt Jackie responds was that a negative disparaging remark about my son I'm like oh this is big Karen energy now and then she's like I'm sick of everyone blaming the parents if it wasn't for your whore mom breaking up my marriage causing my husband to leave me this would have never would have never happened and then I mean this is the Sydney we know because she's like isn't Mickey supposed to be dead? And so that causes Aunt Jackie to turn around and Sydney has like a prop bottle and smashes it over her head so that she can get away. She runs backstage, grabs an ax and starts just like hacking the rope. So there's like lights falling. There's like, she she's also doing like all the Foley effects. So it's like the, the lights are flashing, the thunder's going, like trying to give her that sensory overload while she is like still hacking at ropes, prop, dropping props, hoping to like hit her. And Jackie starts cr- trying to climb a set wall, question mark. And, <laughs> and why, and why do this, like when this, when she falls and the set starts to fall on her, why does it feel like she feels those things are heavy shouldn't those things have been kind of like they're like styrofoam yeah I was confused I was confused I was too I was like "Mm." and I'm like Sydney don't trust that that the Jane did she got styrofoam rocks on her (sighs) um so uh, Sydney kind of like everything kind of quiets down and so she's trying to figure out what to do next she sees the exit but it's like at the end of a really long hallway so she moves to start heading towards the exit and Jackie pops back up again and she has one of the knives and so she's trying to stab Sydney the gun is like discarded and Sydney sees it so she's trying to get at it and then Cotton Weary shows up with the mystery gun or I guess no there was two guns there so were two he, guns yeah Mickey had one and then Mrs. Loomis had one and so Cotton Weary shows up grabs one of the guns and and so then oh, he's he's yes. he's trying to process what's going on who's this random lady fighting with Sydney <laughs> and so Sydney's like this is Billy's mom and he's like what like <laughs> the way he delivers that one like 
Come again. And so, um, like, why isn't this shit over with, man? So Cotton has the gun on Aunt Jackie. Aunt Jackie has Sydney knife to her throat, arguing with Cotton about bullshit now. And Cotton's kind of like, well, isn't this a predicament? And that Diane Sawyer interview looking pretty good to you now, Sydney. And Sydney like doesn't even hesitate, just like consider it done. And he's like, pow, pow. And Aunt Jackie. <laughs> I don't do gun noises very well. <laughs> Are you laughing at me? I'm sorry. It's just, it was unexpected. <laughs> pew, pew. That, that's right. a. I'm, I'm fine now. Mm-hmm. I don't think you are. <laughs> and then Cotton goes, Wow, that was intense. I hope you know I would never hurt you, Sydney. Bitch, <laughs> and he's like, Get out of here. And then she's like, Cotton, just give me the fucking gun. Like, we're, we're not going to mince words. We're not going to do this. We're just not give me do the that. gun. Yeah. And then and so, all of a sudden, here, come, here, here comes Kale um, rising like a phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they both have guns and they, they the way that they took their stance they look like they Boondock were like, yes yes <laughs> yes 200 alex 200 <laughs> they're just like hovering over mickey does do like because they're talking about how they think miss loomis is gonna pop back up but they it's actually mickey did. behind them and they're just like hovering over like pow pow like just I don't know how else to do gun noises. <laughs> shooty shooty. <laughs> I think okay. it's also that you like <laughs> you pull out your fake gun and you go pow pow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, can we make it through? Can we make it through? <laughs> We're almost done. <laughs> so Anyway, they learn from the first movie, Double Tap. And so they make sure everyone real dead. Yes. Dead. And, dead. and I now, mean, Sydney goes in so much to the point that she goes and she pops a cap in Mrs. Loomis's head one last time to make sure she don't rise from the exactly ashes. Exactly how she did her son. Yes. Damn. I, I feel like she's become a sociopath herself. Yeah, she's the way like, how easy it is for her to like how easy it was to kill her was scary. Yeah. So now we see very similar to the ending of the first movie. It's an exterior shot, and as all the the events are happening, it's slowly panning out. Um, <coughs> and so we see, or we hear someone say, "We found someone," or "We have someone," and they wheel out Dewey. So Dewey is not dead. <laughs> he must be high on some like because he like has his hands and he's, up. Like, he's like yeah he kind of is flailing his hands just like kill <laughs> he, like, and then as they're like loading him in the ambulance he's like 
okay bye bye (laughs) he does that thing but gail's like no i'm going with him so she hops in the ambulance gail's super happy because he ain't dead and sydney like obviously all the press is like running after her like give us a statement what is it like to be a hero a second time and she's kind of like you need to go ask cotton he's actually the hero so she like finally gives him his due jesus and then and cotton's kind of cocky about it he's like hey i'd love to talk to everyone pulling business cards out of his wallet (laughs) like but there's a press for everything like yeah and then and then the last lines of the movie is like well i'll tell you one thing though it's gonna make a hell of a movie and then goes to credits and that is scream (laughs) 2 Jesus. Oh, Lord. So just a few notes before we go into our ratings. So we know that the, the script was leaked. The The cast was taking bets on like who was going to make it to the end and who the killer's identities were. David Arquette actually won. I kind of find this really interesting that they, like they knew the production companies knew how big Scream was and how popular it was. And so when they saw that Scream 2 was coming out the same day. They pushed back the release dates for Tomorrow Never Dies, a James Bond movie, mm-hmm. and Titanic to avoid competition with Scream 2. <laughs> That's crazy. That's insane. But like that shows you the power that like Scream had when it came out in the franchise. Like it, <laughs> it, it had a hold on on the millennials <laughs> for sure it did so well well it this really i think this is one of my favorite factoid you ready ready because matilda so the omega beta zeta sorority house in screen two where sarah michelle geller's cc would actually meet her demise was also used in matilda as miss trunchbull's mansion and i don't know if i'm saying her name right but we all know some of us know so a couple of cameos following up his cameo as a janitor and scream Wes craven props up as uh, a doctor in the hospital after sydney is attacked and kevin williamson appears as a talk show host in the beginning with cotton yeah eric mabius from ugly betty resident evil welcome to the dollhouse fame He actually auditioned for the role of Derek, which was ultimately given to Jerry O'Connell. Jerry O'Connell and Sarah Michelle Gellar were dating at the time of shooting of Scream 2. And I don't know if you remember this, but there's this scene when Randy and Sydney are walking together and they're talking and Randy just switches, switches to an odd accent, like a British accent halfway through this scene and he says he has no idea why he did that it was an odd choice in the moment and somehow it just made it into the final cut it does seem like a randy move but it was interesting oh it took me out of the movie like when he did that i was like <laughs> what the fuck are you doing Jamie Kennedy? like you all the were, time were you shooting this movie and another movie and like got your character swapped for a second like what is happening i don't know and but it never, all the times I've watched this movie, it never took me out of the movie. I just thought it was normal. <laughs> I don't know. Jamie Kennedy just doing Jamie Kennedy shit? Yeah. 
All right. So now that we got that off our plate, let's go to our ratings. Jackie, present day Jackie, how does she feel about Scream 2? I mean, I didn't hate it. I, I think because I love the characters. So, yeah. And it wasn't a terrible, terrible movie. Like, there was more gore and stuff, which I appreciated. The The whole theater scene at the end really sticks out. And that's what I really, really remembered from watching it when it first came out. So, uh, I mean, probably a two-day rental, but it, I don't hate it. It's just there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had some hot takes in the beginning, obviously. I, I just feel like I, I want to reiterate, I... I I think it, diversity is important, but not for the sake of it, it. It's almost like somebody sent the company line like, oh, well, all of a sudden we have to hire a bunch of black people and then you don't know what to do with it because you haven't really, you really haven't made it a priority of diversity. Then it just makes well, me even more upset. It felt like it was very much like, who are the hottest two black actors right now? Get them for cameos in this yes. movie. Mm-hmm. And then the other two black characters were just going to waste them as characters. And, and, and to, you know, in other movies, you have a ton of white characters that are same. They're wasted as well. I I get that. But when you don't have a lot of something and then you finally do add it, 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 it was disappointing. Yeah. So I do want to give it a two day rental. Y2K Danielle watch this as a comfort movie and we know that's weird because I don't like scary movies but this does if I feel like this is a rom-com it doesn't bother me it doesn't make me scared or jump or or anything I whatever so I'm gonna give it a two-day rental I don't watch it anymore and I had a hard time getting through it but I I also don't hate it because I, I love the Scream franchise so much yeah but it could have been better when we rewrite re when we rewrite it (laughs) as if we know how to write a damn script well you probably do but I don't I and it's weird because like screen you saying I just love the scream franchise but really we just love the original and like our love is so big for the original we don't care what the sequels are we're gonna watch them like that is huge because most of the time you can separate well the first one was good but the rest of them like fucking sucked this is just like you say you love the scream franchise but really it's just i love scream you love but i do i do remember when i was younger i very much like scream 2 the problem is that progress happens like scream 1 was amazing it lives on its own it's a classic and but scream 2 wasn't out of especially all the horror movies that were coming out scream was still above and beyond the other slashers that were coming out at that time in the 90s you know scream 2 i didn't hate scream 4 i need to rewatch it to see if i still feel that strongly but i remember not hating it and thinking oh this is much better than scream 3 and i'm really hoping the reviews for scream 5 have been really really good so yeah tell us if you're gonna watch scream 5 if you're excited do you feel like you like all of the scream the scream franchise or is it just that the first one is so good that you're you're here for the long haul and you can do that by hitting us up on our social handles instagram facebook tiktok twitter and youtube at no more late fees 
And you can also call into our quick drop number 909-601 and MLF 909-601-6653 and leave feedback, suggest future movies, tell us your opinions. We love, I know I hear from a lot of people that they kind of talk back to us. (laughs) They engage in the conversation uh, while they're listening to the podcast. So if you have, if you have an argument, a really like point a hill you're willing to die on please call (laughs) in let us know we'd love to hear from you and if you love the show head over to apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review we'd really appreciate it it helps us get more exposure to new listeners and spotify has a new feature where you can give us a five-star rating if you're listening there and they also have a new feature where you can watch the video, although all uh, most of our episodes are up on our YouTube page. Spotify now allows you to upload the video along with the audio. So if you'd like to watch along with us, Spotify allows you to do that. But if you are feeding for some more, no more late fees, Jackie, tell them how else they can get some fun clips. You can become one of our Patreon besties, patreon.com slash no more late fees. You'll get exclusive content stickers ask me anything's polls bonus videos live spotify playlists and more so head on over to patreon and our other podcasters out there if you're thinking about starting a podcast currently have a podcast we highly recommend the program Descript, D-E-S-C-R-I-P-T. It is an editing program that you upload your audio slash video to. It transcribes it and you can edit the audio and video as you would a Word document. You can do searches for filler words, remove all of those ums in one easy click. I will say that It has made my editing process so much easier. It is well worth the subscription and you can get a discount if you go to our link tree and click on our affiliate link. So highly recommend Descript for your editing needs. And until next time, be kind and rewind.